Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith and review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. About three seconds ago, or five seconds ago, as I checked my jacket pocket for my uh, well-prepared introduction, which I stayed up late, late last night typing out, um, was left in the van. And so for those regulars at the Institute of Catholic Culture, you get what you always get, and that is Sabatino Unhinged. For those that are new to the Institute of Catholic Culture, I would like to extend a special welcome to you. The Institute of Catholic Culture was founded five years ago at St. John the Beloved Parish in McLean, Virginia, with the goal of educating Catholics and non-Catholics alike in all aspects of our faith. And we have opened our doors time and time again to Catholics and non-Catholics all welcome to hear the truth which Jesus Christ proclaims through the teachings of his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And to our, our event tonight, as I began to prepare my introduction for our honored guest, I thought to myself, how do you introduce a man who obviously needs no introduction? How do you introduce a man who has been a shining light in the raging storm of secularism, which is our age. And in the end, I realized I could say only one thing, something that my pastor has shared with me many times, and that is there's nothing greater that you can say about another man than to call him what Abraham, our father in the faith, was called so many years ago, and that is a friend of God. I introduce to you tonight a true friend of Jesus Christ, our God, Father Benedict Groeschel. Well, my goodness. I never get a reception like this in New York. They know me too well. I'm, thank you, Sabatino, and I'm very grateful to you for establishing the uh, program, uh, the uh, program, uh, program for Catholic culture. It's very, very important, and uh, I did a television for it this afternoon, and it's one of several throughout the country mostly begun entirely by lay people to re-enkite re, re, uh, the, uh, the culture and desire for the Catholic faith. You know, in the 70s and 80s, we lived through a very dark time. Really, it began in 1968, and interestingly enough, it was a world revolution. The great uh, historian Christopher Dawson, Catholic historian, he wrote a book called The Movement of World Revolution. And the revolution, culturally, it went every place. It upset China, the communist Chinese. They didn't know what to do with it. The Russians didn't know what to do with it. The Christians didn't know. Nobody knew what to do with it. Practically, the only place in uh, the world was not shaken up was Africa, because Africa was not yet moved into the cultural situation that it is now. And the popes of the church, Pope Paul VI, Pope John Paul II, 
and the present Holy Father confronted this cultural uh, cultural attack and you see it even today in the writings of Pope Benedict. By the way, can you hear me in the back? No? Now I'll try to be a little louder. Could they turn up the, how are we doing now? Can you hear me? We have to do something. If you can't hear me, it's we're wasting. Bring this in just a little bit. I'm wasting my time if I'm preaching and nobody can hear it. Can you hear me in the back now? Good. We're good. We're good. Okay. Now, uh, now, let's take a look. Here we are in the center of the country, the country capital, and we're. Catholics, Christians, interested, what talk about this revolution? Well, part of it is a religious revolution, that there is nothing like faith. There is in its place opinion. Opinion is very different from believing. So, some people have a, have a hunch. Maybe there is a God. Maybe Christ is the Son of God or a good man. It's a hunch. That's not faith. What we are called for by the Bible, the Old Testament, and especially in the words of Jesus himself and the words of St. Paul, we are called to believe, to understand, to the best we can, to the mysteries of God, and choose. I accept. I believe. Now, the very basic foundation of belief why would you and I want to believe? Because our life is coming to an end. Every one of us is here only temporarily. Everyone. St. Paul says, it is a sign to every man to die at least once. And so, death is something that you can't escape. And the response to death is faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came among us and died for us that we might be saved. That's what it's all about. And life and religion comes to a reasonable understanding for this. Now, just tonight I want to take up one important but one part of faith. And this is the Catholic faith about what happens when you die. What comes next? Mm -hmm. And for some of us, that's a very important question because we can see the end of the road. The average American man now dies at 75. I'm 77. All right. I'm on my way down. I'm, I'm on the 18th hole. And that's very interesting because most people, perhaps 
almost everybody, lives with an assumption that they're just going to keep going. People who know that they have terminal illness amaze you sometimes. I have a friend, a good friend, my own age, a very devout layman, Marty, came down with a diagnosis of a, a, a terminal diagnosis. They put him in a home, Calvary, for people that are dying. He got better. They put him into a less intense place, and he got better again. And now he's in a nice, pleasant nursing home, and he's walking around typing and doing things. He's still dying. But he has not been frightened to death. Uh, he's a man of great faith. On the other hand, some people die simply by hearing the, the fact that they are seriously ill. They are frightened to death. No real Christian should be like that. We know that we are moving toward another world. Now, obviously, that world is mysterious. The most important thing about it is that it does not have time. Time. All of our lives, we have organized our experience by time. Days and nights and weeks and years. And time is gone. We can't quite think of that. But we can think that there is duration without time. Time is a thing of this world. The Holy Father, in his recent encyclical on hope, points out that we're thinking about eternal life. Don't think of an endless recession of days. Days days and days, playing a harp, listening to all this beautiful music. No matter how beautiful it would be if it was days and days and years and centuries and millennia, it's an awful idea. In fact, the Pope said, if you think about it, it sounds more like hell than like heaven. So, it is mysterious. It says in the Psalms, you, O God, are the selfsame forever, for you made the sky and the sea, and those things will pass away. But you, O Lord, you will never change and come to an end. Now, even our divine Savior, Jesus Christ, died. We speak about a special passing away of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's called the sleeping of Mary. And the church teaches that Mary, because she of the Immaculate Conception, never experienced the full impact of death. But Christ did because he paid for all the sins of the world. He died on the cross. They took him down. They put him into the grave. The church always has believed in ancient times that his body did not begin to corrupt. It did not uh, die away. And so that when he rose Easter morning, his body was intact. A sign 
of your hope and my hope after death. Now, let's, I brought this book, After This Life. It's downstairs with other books. What Catholics believe about what happens next. And it's a simple enough book because it's about the basic teachings of the church. Unfortunately, we don't speak about this, not in sermons. People that are real old like myself, when you were quite young, would go to the parish mission. How many of you remember the old parish mission? Oh yeah, and the redemptorists or the passionists, they come in and remind you that you're going to die. It scares everybody a bit. But that's, nobody talks about that nowadays. And in our culture, we pretend that those, our dear ones, are not dead. Because you go to the viewing, and there's Uncle Charlie. He looks great. He's got a very a good suit, a tie, and a shirt. You've never seen him with a shirt and tie on his whole life. <laughs> and he's got his rosary around his head, and he hasn't said his rosary since he made his first communion. Uh, but uh, it's a bit, and then of course, people are there uh, visiting at the viewing, and somebody makes this awful observation. Oh, doesn't he look good? He looks terrible. Uh, he's dead. Or the really ghoulish observation, didn't they do a nice job on that? <laughs> you know, you hear that all the time. We don't really look at our mortality. And that leads us very frightened of death. A believer, especially a Christian believer, who believes in God's mercy and forgiveness. A Catholic believer who knows that he can or she can receive the sacraments, the anointing of the sick, absolution of sins, Holy Communion, which we call viaticum, which means the bread for the, wet, the road, via we should be very prepared. Now, older people, again, would like when someone is dying that the priest is either there or has been there in the house that day. Remember that? The priest came. And that was a very important part of being a priest. You were on duty. Now in those days, there might be four priests in a rectory. And one each day had duty. And that meant, especially, was available for any emergency. Anyone needed the sacraments because they were in serious illness. Or they had to visit people was sick or having difficulties at home. That was a wonderful part of being a priest 50 years ago. I loved that part. But in the course of time, there are very few priests. You see this huge parish. There are two priests here. It, it, it could not happen. And so, what priests try to do is ask people if someone is seriously ill to have received the sacraments and 
that we know that they're, they're ready. But it may be two weeks later. And uh, do remember that responsibility. If someone is dying or in danger of death, they should call for the priest. The old people here, how many of you remember that someone was seriously ill, they called the priest? There you go, say. Now, the old Irish, they were suspicious. Oh, I see where you're away. Because if the priest came, it meant you're going to die. <laughs> they had it backwards, you know. The person was dying, that's why the priest came. Oh, don't send the priest. They're going to die if the priest comes. Now, uh, what should we think of leaving this life? First of all, for the Christian believer, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world he had a true human body and a true human soul. And he passed through this world a dangerous time of the world. The Jews were a defeated nation, enslaved uh, in, 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 in a way by the Roman Empire. And Christ was born and lived all his life under the Roman Empire. And he was crucified by uh, the authority of a Roman governor, Punctius Pilate. We mention his name every time we say the Epistle, the, the Creed. Uh, who was this cheap politician? Why in the world does his name get repeated millions of times, not because he did, because he did something bad representing the world, Pontius Pilate. But sad to say that Christ was also the victim of the religious prejudices of his own leaders. And they were the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, different parts of the Jewish community. Christ himself was very, very Jewish. He lived and died to everybody as a Jew. He began his own religion, the Christian religion, the night before he died at the Last Supper, when the establishment of the Eucharist, and he said to the apostles, do this in memory of me. This begins the priesthood and the sacraments. And with less than 24 hours, the Christ was dead, and in three days, he would rise from the dead. That is the mystery of the Christian faith. Now, if you do not have that mysterious belief that is, in a certain sense, incomprehensible to the human mind, the belief that a dead man, by his own power, rose from the dead. You've got to believe that if you're a Christian. If you don't believe it, you're wasting your time with Christianity. And if you do believe it, it puts the whole meaning of your life is there. I've been a priest 51 years, and I can think over my life the death of many, many people. Most of them died praying for, prayerfully and filled with hope. Some of them 
were saints. Father Solanus Casey, who will be canonized. I was with Mother Teresa just six weeks before her death. I knew her for many years. And we said goodbye to her when she went back to India. And we knew she would never be back. And she was at great peace. I went with Father Andrew, one of my confreres, and we said mass for Mother Teresa. She was lying on a, 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 a little sofa in the chapel. And she was so happy. Mother Teresa was a rather serious person. She was not somebody that you'd tell a joke to. She was quite serious. And I think when you looked into her face, you saw the sufferings of the world because she felt so much for the suffering of people. But then, six weeks before her death, another person, she was laughing, telling us how much the missionaries of charity had been able to do, and she never sounded like she was bragging about it. She wouldn't talk to me about it. But she told us 525 convents in the world, in 177 countries, no, 77 countries. I didn't even know there were 77 countries. And I said to Father Andrew when we left, we'll never see her again. She's going home. And this great woman, a saint, absolutely. And I think in the future, the church will mark her a saint as much important as Saint Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. She is a a saint for our times. And yet, I watched her facing certain death. It's not death. It's certain life. It is going beyond this life into a life that never ends. We can't comprehend that but that's what's there. Now, big question. Are you going to see those whom you love in the next life? Our Lord certainly, when he's speaking about eternal life, he's talking about it very, very personally. He says, in John 14, the very beginning of the 14th chapter of St. John is something that everyone look at. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. In my Father's house there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and where you are, I will come and bring you with me. I think those are the most consoling words in the whole Bible. John 14. It's the promise of eternal life. Now, how about other people? In the second century, St. Crispin, uh, Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, tells us about people meeting the saints when they come into the kingdom of heaven. It sounds like a railroad station. They arrive, and he says, all their friends and relatives are waiting for them, throwing their arms around them, welcoming them there, their parents, their spouse, their children, their relatives and friends. We should think about that. Now it is mysterious 
because we are here at that time without this body. How does a soul see people? How to perceive other people? We don't know. I'll tell you this, your soul is a very important thing. Have you ever been there? Of course you have. With a dead body, someone dear to you. And what's missing? The soul. That's what's not there. So, in eternal life, after the end of, uh, at, at, when people die, we come into a world of souls. The only two be be people that are known not to be there, but have their body with them, is Christ and the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's the proclamation of the dogma of the Assumption in 1950. In 1950, the great non-Catholic world psychologist, Carl Gustav Jung, is equally as important as Freud. He said that the most important statement since the Protestant Reformation is the proclamation of the dogma of the Assumption, because it placed a feminine, feminine figure in eternal life with Christ. Interesting, interesting thought. Now, comes the end of the world. And if you're not too prepared to think about the end of the world, just come up to New York. <laughs> Every day you sort of have a feeling that we've got to wrap the whole thing up. Uh, you know, there was a guy walking around midtown, uh, Times Square at a big sign. Uh, the world is going to end on Friday. And people kept saying to him, promises, always promises. <laughs> Who knows where is the end of the world? You and I will know when it's coming for us, because that will be the end of the world for us. And when the whole thing blows up, who knows how when it will be. It's not a good idea to predict it. Uh, there's a particular denomination right now has, I think, uh, promised three times already it was the end of the world and it didn't happen. So Jesus says, no one knows but the Heavenly Father. Keep your mouth shut. And, uh, but it doesn't make a lot of difference because when you're dying, that's the end of this world for you, right? Whether you're young or old, whether it's the little newborn baby or even the unborn baby. Or there was a man uh, at this here tonight told me there's a man 101. A man died recently in Nebraska who was 114. I have bad luck, the poor man. Would you want to live to be 114 years old? Uh, now, think your life as it is. An interesting question. Is your spouse going to be there? You certainly hope so, but the relationship of husband and wife, according to Jesus, is not the same. He says, they are neither married nor given in marriage. And he says, but they are like the angels. So human experience uh, having a husband and wife, a family, that comes to an end because it is the reproduction of the human race. Now, don't feel too bad. 
I've been a friar since I was 17, so I could tell you all about it. And uh, I've never been married, never got anywhere near anything like it. They can't hear it? No, they can hear your phone call. I'm just going to bring it a little bit closer. Okay. I'm shouting to be quite honest with you. Take up a collection and get this Carrie's Cathedral. I'm going to stand here to hold this for you, okay? Let me hold it myself. Let's try this one. I don't know. This doesn't work any better either. Okay. Is it working all right? We'll keep trying. Now, what you need to do is to think of those dear to you who will be like us passing through death. Be praying for them to be well received in eternal life. And in truth, marriage, the ex exchange of sexual relationship is over in that world because there's no reason for reproduction. Everybody who's going to be there is there. And to be quite honest with you, that is part of what it means why monks and nuns uh, are, and priests lead a, a, sin, a single life. Uh, when I was 17, I became a friar. I knew when I was about seven years old I knew I was going to be a priest, but I didn't know the priest didn't get married. And I saw the grouchy looking old Irish lady who answered the door in the priest's house. I thought she was the priest's wife. And I must say, I was very grateful to find out that that was not the case. And, uh, it's very interesting. Nowadays, you met, meet wid widows and widowers who become religious or priests, and marriage was part of their life, and now it's no longer. A very dear friend of mine uh, is a cloistered Carmelite nun, mother of nine children all of them grown up, and uh, she's leading a very happy life as a cloistered nun. Uh, the, uh, uh, probably most of you here sometime or other in your life have met a priest who is a widower who has a family. And then, of course, once in a while, we might an Eastern Rite priest from the old country who is a married priest. Uh, and uh, it's, it doesn't fit together, uh, but it's not a, a problem. But why? Why would there be all these celibate priests and nuns? And in order to be a sign of eternal life, it is a a priest, brother, or sister, widower or single all their life, or a devout layperson who is single and been single all their life. And often these people are very generous and devout people. I'll bet you most of the people here remembered a single aunt or great aunt that was very nice to the kids and had Christmas presents and all that. And she went to every day to mass and she led a holy life. We called her Aunt Jo. And she led a holy life as a single person. Uh, there are three men who helped me with our work Three single men lived their lives 
very devoutly and have gone every May day to Mass for decades. So God calls different people in different ways. What you have to do is do it well. And uh, I'll tell you a story. This is an amazing one. I was way out in the Pacific Islands, and the missionaries were there, but a number of the people in that area still were pagans. They, they were under the influence of the missionaries, but the, and the, their kids were all Catholics, but they were married to three or four women. And what are you going to do, say? And uh, I met this old gentleman, and he was a chieftain. He had some feathers in his hair, and he was an old pipe that he was smoking. And there were the three or four wives, and I didn't speak to him in this strange language, Eta spoke in Eta, but the missionary with me spoke to her, and he spoke in English to one of the helpers in the Cyan, which is a Filipino language, and the man in the Cyan spoke in Ata. And he asked the man, are you baptized? And we're standing there with the three wives. And I saw this old man puff on his pipe. And very solemnly, he answered back. And he said, no, I am not baptized. But Jesus is living in my heart. I almost fell down. What a beautiful statement of faith. Jesus is living in his, my heart. Probably this is a phrase that one of the missionaries told to him. But I had to be very impressed. Now, how are we going to put all of this together? Get ready. Get ready? Yeah, get ready. Get ready? Get ready for what? Get ready to leave here. Now that sounds kind of grim, doesn't it? But do you know who gives us that advice? Literally, what does Jesus say? Be ready, because he will come in the, de in the depth of night, like a thief in the night. Be ready. Christ tells to all of us, be ready. And the way to be ready is to lead a good and as best you can holy Christian life. And there's probably a few people here tonight aren't quite ready yet to be ready. They're struggling against serious sins in their lives, serious sins probably there. Get ready. Don't ever give up. Keep struggling. Never, ever give up. And how beautiful it is as a person is ready or is struggling to be ready. Many young people don't, would not say to yourself, I'm ready to die right now. But get ready. Struggle to be ready. We live in a very seriously sinful society. Young people are led by the values of the secular world, and they are not prepared. As you come 
and you take to mature life, which can be in the middle of the 20s, be and more ready and ready. And many older people now, looking back at the earlier years of their life, they regret that long ago they were ready. I'm the one who believes greatly in the mercy of God. I know endless stories as a priest of people who got ready, how the mercy of God was there. But that will only work if a man will try. A friend of mine, an old priest, long dead now, was the chaplain of Sing Sing Prison, the most famous prison in the United States, up the river, in the Hudson Ra Ra River. Uh, and somebody uses the expression, they're going up the river. That meant Sing Sing. And in Sing Sing was the electric chair. Two or three times a year, a man would be executed at a quarter to midnight on the day of his death. An awful barbaric thing. And the cloistered nuns in the city and in the Westchester, they would be up all of the night praying for the man who was going to die. Father Donovan told me that whenever a man was dying, he stayed in the prison all day, whether he was a Catholic or not, stopping in, seeing how he was doing in the death, uh, death cell. And there was a man who was to be executed. I assume he had committed a murder. And this man was badly burned by acid on one side of his face. He was blind in one eye. As a boy, his father had thrown a bottle of muriatic acid at him. This was a kind of acid used for cleaning bricks when you were laying bricks. And he went through all of life like that. And there he was at the end of the road waiting for execution. And Father Donovan kept coming to see him. And he said to him, Father, look, you're a nice priest. You're a nice man. I'll go to confession if you want me to, but I don't believe anything. There is no God. There could not be a God with I went through. He did not believe. So Father Donovan could not hear his confession. But Father Donovan stood in the back of the execution room, and there was the, the chair, and the, men were, the man was st strapped into the chair. And before they put the gag in his mouth so they wouldn't shout out when the electrical car currents come, the warden said, is there anything else for you to say? And he shouted out, God, have mercy on my soul. Father Donovan gave him absolution, and he died. Was he ready? Was he ready? Of course he was. Father Donovan told me that that one night meant all his whole years as a priest. He had done many good, good things, but that night summed it all up. As we make our way through life, try to us, try to be as best we can to others along the way. And when you meet along the way, people who do not seem
to be worthy of it. They don't seem to be working toward being good Christians or good people. Show some kindness to them. They may be very bitter. They may have been very badly hurt. But, and they may never respond to you, but they will remember it. And a life that was only very little goodness and a lot of darkness, it's remembered. I worked most of my young years as a priest with delinquent boys. I was chaplain of a reformatory. And uh, over the years, I, I still hear frequently the boys, they're now 50 years old. Some of them are grandfathers. But they remember, remember the kindness that we tried to do for them in the name of Jesus Christ. And they'll meet me in the street. I don't even recognize them sometimes. They were a little kid. Now they have a big afro. And they'll come up and they'll say, don't you remember we had that Christmas party? And, and you, got the, uh, uh, you got the reindeer to come. I paid 300 bucks to get a reindeer there for the day. But I thought for 300 kids, they never saw a reindeer in their life. Uh, and we did all sorts of things. And they remember and how important it is uh, to pray and to pray for those who have no one else to pray for them. And as you're facing your life or death or the death of those dear to you, remember, it is a beginning. It is passing through this life into a better life. And Christ says that to us. I will come back and I will bring you with me, with me where I am, where you also will be. Thank you. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.